You're listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. Welcome. You have chosen wisely. Please go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. You know, basically made it impossible for them to control the breeding because now he does it all. Right. Uh, he controls the spice. He Not controls... Himself. Yeah. Let's be clear. He has no gross protuberance. Right. <laughs> That's right. I'm, I'm just, I felt the need to just make sure I said that phrase. Uh, you know what? Because it's the best we, phrase. Welcome to the Legendarium. We are the blue team, uh, or at least most of the blue team today. Yeah, most of us are the blue team. We are on episode 234 today, and we're going to be talking about God Emperor of Dune, coming back to uh, coming back to Frank Herbert after a brief uh, foray into Dresden for the last little while. And we have a special treat for you today. If you if you're listening. And you're wondering why it is that we say we're mostly the blue team. Let me explain. Uh, I'm Todd Wente, your host. Most of you are probably familiar with me. We have Ken with us as well, one of our staple members of I'm, the blue team panel. I'm waving for some reason. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out know. why you're waving when we're on I the podcast, know. Ken. Just hi. I'm a little bit worried hi, about that. But then we also have a very special guest. Uh, today we have Jack Butler with us. He is, uh, he is an experienced podcaster. He's involved in three major podcasts. He's a journalist. He's based in Washington, D.C. He's an enthusiast of good writing, good fiction, and particularly recently, he's come into an appreciation of Frank Herbert. So that's part of why we're glad to have him here uh, talking about God Emperor of Dune. So, Jack, welcome. Thank you, and I'm happy to be back into the Legendarium on the on the other side of things. Uh, I've, <laughs> the I've, I've checked side. the fantasy box. Now I'm checking the sci-fi box. Yeah, it's it's uh, and. And I, I, as we were talking earlier, you you made you made reference to the fact that that fantasy geeks are a little bit different than sci-fi geeks. So so uh, maybe we're expanding your geek cred for you as well. <laughs> well, yes, good. Thank goodness, I was definitely in doubt before yeah. this point. <laughs> I'm sure we're the ones that are going to do it for him. Now oh, yeah. you're legitimate. Yeah. Jack. Well, well, congratulations. Not not sure we're ever going to use the word legitimate <laughs> with anything we do. Um, <laughs> Certainly so, not my children. I mean, what? Uh, <laughs> a little bit of uh, a little bit of housekeeping first. Uh, just and and when I say a little bit, those of you who have been with us for a long time, you know, you can reach us on. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter. You can reach us via email. You can find us on Discord, thelegendarianpodcast.com. Uh, we are we love engaging with you on, on Reddit, uh, any place that we can find you. Those of you who've reached out, um, especially Arcaden, um, sent, me a, sent me a piece a couple of weeks ago. Thank you very much. Um, love having you all here. And for those of you who are disappointed that Megan's here, those of you that are not here. members of— She's not here. Or not here, that those, those of you Megan's mobites— Mobians, members of Megan's Mob, yeah. members of Megan's Mob, MMMs. Yeah. Wow. Sure. Okay. We'll play with that for a week. Um, uh, you can complain to her about the fact that she wasn't able to be here. We didn't kick her off. She just felt like she had more important things to do today. So you can you can play with that as you wish. Um, all right. With that said, let's go ahead and jump into to God Emperor of Dune. Ken, do you have a you you have a a, a recap for us? Yes, I, have, I do. I have a. Oh recap. wow, that was a heavy sigh. I, you know, we'll get into it. <laughs> the God Emperor sighs a lot as well. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into it. Okay. Years have passed since Leto Atreides slathered himself in worm goo, married his sister, and set out to micromanage the development of the universe. 3,500 years, to be exact. Arrakis is no longer a barren, waterless wasteland. Everyone, anyone, or everyone knows, uh, 
They're, everyone that anyone knows is gone. Mostly. Mostly. And the God Worm has a big plan to save humanity. It basically involves 3,000 years of spice rationing and resurrecting Idaho's. Because <laughs> why not? <laughs> but like the Duniverse's own Harvey Dent, Leto learns that you die a hero, you live long enough to be seen as the villain. That was a Batman reference for you. I, I'm very impressed. I'm very impressed. Of course, his grand designs manage to piss off every other center of power, just like every other benevolent dictator. Folks aren't down with his heavy, tyrannical flipper of justice. He breaks up the lands rod. The Bene Gesserit want their breeding program back. The Telelaxu or go around just being innately contrarian. Ixians are doing something. He's also suspected of breaking the Butlerian Jihad by using computers. That damn internet. <sighs> Plus, there's How dare he break my Jihad? Right? Plus, there's this bizarre love tri triangle between a Tlalaxu emissary, a sexless sentient worm, and a three-millennia-old zombie's tale as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> Ultimately, Leto wants to give uh, we his own uh, Leto experience, and they marry and become worm and wife. Turns out, Leto the Hutt's new and improved breeding program consists of... <laughs> we'll get into that, too. Consists of primarily creating Duncans, mixing them with the genetics of his own sister wife, and having them make as many Idahos as possible. Little Idahos, as far as the eye can see, from Twin Falls to Coeur d'Alene. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Really, Lido's breeding well, program is... I'm sorry? Oh. Oh, I was just going to say, I feel like we're done here. What else is there to say? Oh, uh, pretty close. Lido's breeding <laughs> program is really... He's just breeding his own replacement, and the person who will supplant him completely with immunity, depressions, leading humanity past the golden path. He finds that in Siona, his own great, 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 or whatever. <clears throat> in the end, Lido allows himself to be killed, using his own Java body to create a new source of spice, a new aggressive sandworm. The fate of humanity rests in the progeny of Siona and Duncan Gola. Plus, it's all just uh, going to be fine because Godworm Leto has pres uh, presciently made it so. Go home, everybody. No need to read any further because Leto's golden path has saved us all. Yay. So can I just say that I've been, I've been waiting ever since I finished the book and ever since I knew that you finished the book, I've been waiting to say, is Duncan the God Emperor's <laughs> private Idaho? I mean, is that... <laughs> oh, my God. How did I not work uh... that in there? I am embarrassed. I wish I could kick you off for that, but I'm a guest, so I can't. I am. I am. Oh, I, shamed. I, I, I saw you scratch your eyebrow. That's that's nice. <laughs> I am shamed and embarrassed that I didn't work that in. Okay, here's some questions for you. Was Leto's grand plan all worth it? And seriously, did it work? I will talk about that. Is there is there ever such a thing as truly a golden path? And can't people just let poor Duncan die already? <laughs> no. Gosh. Oh. Boy, that from you, Ken. And by the way. Uh, I, Aranda said I need to make um, make my own victory lap because I was right. Oh, I did I not call it? I said Duncan's going to come back somehow. Well, you you I, are I right. I threw it out tongue in cheek. Oh. I threw it out as sarcastic, and then he shows back up. I'm like, what the? What? <laughs> Why? There are always more Duncans. They oh just sometimes gosh. take a, a, uh, some time to to make. Yeah, That's right. yeah. Time to make the. Duncans. It takes a, It takes a little while. Time to make the golas. Those uh, those axolotl tanks are not as reliable as they once uh, appeared to be, are yeah, they? I wish they would. So they, you know, how on cooking shows, how they should, like show you how to make the thing, and then like once they put it in the oven, they're like, well, fortunately, we already have one here. Here it is. <laughs> we should do that for the Duncans. <laughs> it's yeah. That would it, make it a little easier. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well. Uh, I, Jack, I don't know if that's the first time that you've ever heard one of Ken's recaps, but they are they are generally 
they are generally at least as entertaining, if not more so, than the book itself. So yeah. nicely, nicely done, Ken. Thank you, sir. Nicely done. Yeah, I, I was entertained. <laughs> so uh, I'm channeling my Russell Crowe right here. My <laughs> Russell Crowe. Are you not entertained? <laughs> Is this not the mic? Am I not talking into the mic? <laughs> All right. Well, before we before we start digging in and start pulling apart the book and 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 really kind of doing a dive into some of the issues and the and the themes that come out of it, let's just do a let's let's just do a quick round robin. Initial thoughts and initial impressions on the book. Jack, is this your first time through God Emperor of Dune this this last little while? Uh, so I read it for the first time in February, and uh, I actually just finished rereading it like two hours ago. Oh wow! Um, okay, nice. You're probably more. I wanted to be. I wanted to. I take this very. This, yeah, I take this kind of podcast appearance very seriously. So I wanted to make sure I was. It was read. I'm glad it was one fresh of in my mind. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, really, this is. I'm sort of a recent, as you mentioned in my introduction. I'm kind of a recent uh, uh, addition to the to the the Herbert fandom. I. Uh, I, I, I began as a sci-fi geek, like when I was around 12 and like churned through all of the Asimov and Clark I could get my hands on Yep. and then, but I didn't have really anyone to guide me as my thing. My parents weren't really in, that into sci-fi. So I just kind of like cast about looking for what to read next. And the internet told me that I need to read Dune and I need, and that I need to read Neuromancer. And so I went to a half price books at like age 13 and bought them both, but then didn't touch either of them for a decade. <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah. And then I read uh, summer of 2016. I read Dune, and I was like, okay, I want more of this. I need, yeah. I need more Melange. You guys, by the way, are you guys all are you guys all several Melange uh, doses in for this podcast? Because I am. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, oh, uh, oh. You got the blue on blue. I, I'm full blue I, on blue. Yeah. Well on my good, way. Good. Um, so, so, yeah, <laughs> as far since, as it goes. Since, as yeah, far as Lito gave me, you know. <laughs> the spice allotment. Um. But yeah, since summer 2016, I've been uh, making my way through the series, and now here I am. And I think we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this more later. I think God Emperor is my favorite since the first, and maybe even more than the first in certain ways. Okay. But I'll I'll, I'll tease we'll we'll tease that out uh, over the duration of this podcast. I, I'm sure. Okay, Ken, how about you? What's your initial impressions? My well, I don't know. My my initial impression. I I have a problem. You you know I have a problem with time travel. I do. I have a I have kind of a problem with love height relationship with with prescience as as well. Uh, I knew only, that. You knew. <laughs> Very well played. Oh, so, that was beautiful. I, I just I I have I have a problem with it as 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 a story device only because it's one of those the future is never seen type things and. I don't know. It kind of it kind of frustrates stories, or it can frustrate stories when it's used as a plot device. However, that that being said, I think that the story is is very interesting. Or I, I enjoyed it a lot in the sense that it shows here's the best of intentions gone awry, and and maybe you know at, at the end of Children of Dune, he saw this coming because he's prescient, you know, so he knew exactly well when I start down this path and. 3,500 years from now, I know that they're all going to hate me and think of me as a tyrant, but it has to be done this way because I've seen it coming. And so it, it was good. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm still, I'm waffling even right now because I want to say that I really enjoyed it. But at the same time, there were several things. There've been several things in the last few books about Leto and Ganema and, and some of the Atreides that I just, 
I just think, why am I listening to you? Shut up. Stop yeah. talking. You know? I, no, I get it. Um, and and, and I, I think it's mostly prescience related. So, <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah. Uh, most of our readers are feeling that way too. Um, <laughs> I, I, for me, this is, the, this is my second time through God Emperor. Um, my, my third time through any of the Dune books as we've been moving through these. Um, I, I got up through, I got up through children of Dune, uh, the first time that I ran through them. And then I, and then I took a break. Uh, I took a break of almost a decade and then I came back to them and went madly back through the first three and then, and then picked up with God Emperor and Heretics of Dune. And, uh, and, and so as my second time coming through, I have to admit that there were, because of the speed that I ran through God Emperor of Dune, there were bits of story that I missed the first time through that I, I enjoyed coming back to and I enjoy being able to touch on, but this book perhaps more than any other in the series so far felt like it was, uh, heavily, uh, heavily organized and, and, and focused toward political theory. Yeah. Um, and so it was a, it was a lot of fun to study that way. Um, in, in some of the earlier books, you know, it, it, the way that I think about it, Dune was, Dune was kind of your, your basic science fiction. It's a hero's journey in a science fiction world. Uh, you know, good old Paul going through the hero's journey and, and all of those kinds of things you get into, um, you get into Dune Messiah and it starts to be a conversation about, uh, about good and bad, what is good, what is bad. Um, and to a certain extent, uh, a little bit about political theory, but not near as much as this book. Uh, we get into, uh, children of Dune and we start dealing with a lot more of the the religious implications. What happens when a religion becomes too powerful, or when when a religion becomes the dominant force, and and all of the things around it? Um, and so there was a lot of religious questions and a lot of philosophical questions. Of course, all of these have quite a bit of philosophy woven through mm -hmm. them. Yeah. But we get to God Emperor, and it feels like this is a crash course in in political theory, political thought. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, setting up a setting up an eternal government for dummies kind of a book, um, or at least that's kind of how how I felt like when I was mostly because the first time I was going through it, I felt like a dummy, um, and the second time going through it, I feel like I'm not the dummy, but I'm but I haven't progressed very far because there's a lot a lot of stuff in this book. So, um, but but again, if you've been reading this series, I feel like it it's a nice it's a it's a good next piece in the series, and it. And it builds, and it's enjoyable. And I felt like there was more punching in this book than there has been in quite a few of them for a it, while. It does feel like there's more punching than uh, in the typical, uh, the, in the first three. It, it also felt more like a, a a divergence, almost like the the first three is is kind of a trilogy, and then the this one diverged quite radically from that. And and maybe being set thirty five hundred years later is that's by design. That's that's by deliberate. Uh, design that yeah. that it is a separation. I think I read somewhere along the way that it kind of was built as an interlude between two trilogies, basically. Okay, okay. I, I, and I don't, and I don't know. I didn't read much more into that. But the first three talk about or work on, sorry, focus on Paul and and his kids and and that Atreides family. And then there's this radical jump. And then now we get to deal with life. Well, later, not now. But sorry, uh, in the next three books, we get to deal with life after the Atreides prescience uh, 
mon, uh, theocracy basically yeah. and, and now what comes next and that is that's a very interesting question that it leaves at the end of God Emperors. What comes next? And and it, that's all Leto has been setting everything up for. I just question that it took thirty five hundred years to do it. <laughs> that's all. Well, as we all know, no good crisis should ever be you know ignored. <laughs> Never and, let a good crisis go to waste. <laughs> um, <laughs> did I did I did I start did I start us down a path? Yeah, I did. Okay, that's that is fine. not a golden, a golden path. path. Perhaps, yeah, perhaps, perhaps. Um, <laughs> So I, I think we can all agree that um, and and Jack, if you've if you've worked with us before, you've probably heard us talk about levels one, two, and three, uh, as far as the as far as our as far as our work in here. Oftentimes, and for those of you that are listening in, maybe maybe you've heard, or maybe you're new to the podcast. Um, when we talk about levels one, two, and three, we talk about level one being a a good story, uh, well written. Say it, it, it moves right you there. Along. Just say it. It's a ripping good yarn. There you go. <laughs> Craig hates it when I say that, by the way, which is part of the reason I say it. Um, and part of the reason <laughs> Ken loves it when I say it. So it's a good thing. Um, level two is more social commentary. Uh, and level three is more about um, uh, about helping us, uh, it, about being a true humanities-focused work, being a better human. Uh, would it be fair to say that this book is more level two than it is level one and level three? I, from from that From that brief description... Um, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot, Jack, as you're, as you're listening to that, would you, do you feel like this could be, uh, put together as a, as a fairly decent commentary, um, social commentary, especially political commentary on political power? Oh yeah. I mean, look, I, the, one of the, one of my favorite things about, um, this book. So obviously the God Emperor, he's both prescient and he has access to all of his ancestral memories. So he is. There's like literally billions. I think I think it's billions. The the number used in the in the book of of other conscious consciousnesses uh, inside of him. So he can like he go he can go on what he calls these safaris into the past. Yes. And so he has th this gives him an, an access to basically all of mankind's history, including things that have been totally forgotten by everyone around him. I think sadly, uh, Latin. He speaks Latin at one point, and he says that he's the only person left who can speak Latin in the whole universe. Yes. So it's Frank Herbert in writing this book had to make him seem plausibly omniscient and like make the things he was saying sound like, they, like when he's spouting off these grand eloquent truths about like, Oh, you know, humanity always does this or this, or like a population. My, the, the, the pithiest example is, I don't know. I don't know if it's actually him who says this, but it's something that Moneo, I think hears him say that, uh, a population that walks is easier to control. It's just yes. like a small yeah. throwaway line. Just like one of these, he's just full of all of these axioms and maxims about the way civilization works and progresses. And I think Frank Herbert does a really good job most of the time. Uh, we'll leave aside the things he says about a female army versus a male army. Which are <laughs> <laughs> right. What the, what, okay, that's something else. But most of the things he says are like, they sound they sound true and they seem true when you like think about them you're like yeah i guess that's kind of, that does really you can say that about a, a lot of civilizations or a lot of instances throughout history um so yes and I, I so i think that is one of the strengths of this book is that it's not just that the it's asserted that the god emperor is uh omniscient functionally omniscient but that most of what he says seems uh, like it reflects a potential omniscience, and that's like impressive for a guy who was not omniscient, as far as we know. Yeah, yeah. That, well said on the as far as we Frank know. Herbert to 
yeah. put those words in a fictional character's mouth. You know, one of the things that uh, yes, we I, I'm hedging my bets there. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that I uh, that I enjoyed, and I'll I'll come back to this uh, uh, from a different angle in just a few moments. But one of the things that I really enjoyed was his references to classical uh, classical history, to Greek and Roman history, um, when he Same talks <laughs> when he talks about uh, how all of the how all of the processes that he is seeing unfold have unfolded since those ancient times that have been, as you mentioned, forgotten by everyone else but him, uh, and how he sees the patterns that are the same. In fact, at one point, I think he says, uh, uh, I see patterns in, I, I see patterns all the time, and one of the nice things about seeing patterns is that I know that they will repeat. Um, mm -hmm. and, yeah. it, and it feels very much, I, I remember um, as I was, I, I listened to the books, I, I, there's there's no way my my life allows me enough time to actually sit and read anymore so i've i've gotten to the point where i'm listening to to these books as we go through and so i've got them on my kindle and my whisper sync and blah 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 but i remember the the day that uh that i was driving home and he said a, a population that walks is easier to to control i was driving at i think 55 miles an hour down a 40 mile an hour road and no i'm not going to say which one it is just in case there's any police officers listening in <laughs> But I, but I was thinking to myself, you know, that's kind of true. <laughs> mm -hmm. You restrict all of these things and you then limit the number of different ways that things will show up. And then you start being able to be more predictable about the patterns. I, I, I find it interesting that Frank Herbert was, was so careful in putting those things together and creating a way that made his statements true. Um, I, and because I, because I'm not sure that all of those statements, all of those maxims and truisms always hold true if you've got different kinds of variables in play. I, I don't, I don't know, but, uh, but isn't that true with any maxim though. It, it certainly was a lot of fun to listen to, um, and to think about, uh, all of his, all of his, uh, spouted philosophy that he throws off. One of the ones that I really liked, and it was actually a, it was a quote that I wrote down. It was about rebels. Uh, that rebels oh, are when Frank I need tweeted. to identify rebels, I look for men with principles. Mm -hmm. That was one of them. And the other one was inside a rebel is a closet aristocrat. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so easy to turn them because he offers them power. And then all of a sudden, because now they become a written aristocrat, they abandon their principles and they buy into his. It's fascinating to, it, as I was watching that, I was saying to myself, huh? I wonder how often that happens in other ways. I wonder, I wonder if we can find other places where we have that show up. Um, Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, almost like, it's almost like authority or having to be the authority figure over a group leads you to uh, change your philosophy or realize that there are certain things that have to be done for the good of the group versus what you, what you ideally thought would be the the case you know can you yeah. bring that up that's a really interesting thing let's um if, if we can let's let's shift and talk a little bit about what leto has been doing with the atreides families for these generations he took over the breeding program mm -hmm. took it from the bene Gesserit, uh for for you know basically made it impossible for them to control the breeding because now he does it all right uh he controls the spice he controls yeah. Let's be clear. He has no gross right. protuberance. <laughs> That's right. I'm, I'm just, I felt the need to just make sure I said that phrase. Uh, you know what? Because it's the best we, phrase. He, 
Let's be honest, he is a gross protuberance, but maybe that's the problem. <laughs> oh, my no, gosh, no, no, no. We're not going to talk about the cover. Although somebody did ask us what we thought about the cover of the book. So. Okay, so it depends on which version of the book you've the got. The original, the initial. Oh, um, it was awful. That initial cover is the worst. I'm, I'm, my children listen to this podcast, so I don't think I can say anything about <laughs> that. Um, but uh, we, we, we do see him... Uh, manipulating bloodlines with as much, uh, dare I say it, calculation as the Bene Gesserit do, and and Ken, I love the fact that in your in your recap you mentioned that it seems like it's always the Duncan Idahos that he keeps wanting to throw into all of the Atreides yeah. bloodlines. They just oh man, Pity. So I can I can I just talk about the Duncans for a bit? <laughs> I, I I would love to because I would love to talk about the Duncans as well. I like uh, I just. <laughs> Something so, the, to me, this is this is something that attracts me to the book. It doesn't put me away for some reason. Like so, some of the weaknesses of prior Dune books in God Emperor of Dune, they just become things that make me laugh. Um, and the the treatment of the Duncans is one of them. There's just like something so darkly comical to me about poor Duncan's fate. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting brought back, has to like adjust to the fact that oh, okay, I'm I'm alive. It's because he. The, each each new Duncan Gola, like a clone, if there's anyone listening to this who doesn't know what a Gola is, um, doesn't remember, only remember, like, the last memory he this the Gola has is the death of the original. Yeah. And so he remembers dying and then comes back to life and is like, okay, where the heck am I? Oh, it's however many years later. Oh, what the heck is this regime that I'm now supposed to serve? Oh, actually, it's <laughs> terrible. Oh, now I'm going to get killed. Uh. Um, and then, but then it's over and over and, and, uh, Leto just has this almost like fetish for for Duncans. He just keeps wanting them back. He calls them my Duncans. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Bring me more Duncans. <laughs> I need more Duncans. I every uh, every, and, every time I every time I read this, I keep thinking of the the similarity in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy of the potted plant of petunias that when they when they oh. shoot the missiles and they throw the improbability <laughs> drive and the only thought to go through the pot of plant of petunias was, oh, no, not again, <laughs> because they yeah. keep getting crushed. Yeah. And I, I, I have this I, – I, I really wanted at some point to have the God Emperor say, I'm sure that, that Duncan thought, oh, no, not again. Oh, Maybe. no, not again. <laughs> because he keeps dying in the well, service of these people. He, he, he does say – the God Emperor does like have all these offhand comments about like, Ah uh, yes, the Duncans always think this about this time. Don't they? <laughs> right. like, why do you keep doing this if you know how, how terrible this is for them? Well, it, it's, it's funny. Funny to me. It's yeah. funny too. We see two Duncans, and they both. And, uh, there are the similarities, like oh, the Duncans always think this, so they do that. But it seems like they always, not always, but most of them take a different path. Once in a while, they'll, they'll react a different way to certain certain things, but which makes sense because. If you think about it, because Duncan Seven or whatever is brought back in, <laughs> makes me think of Logan's Run, right? He's brought back in ten thousand seven hundred one A.D. and Duncan Seventeen is brought back in twelve thousand one hundred seven. So they're they're receiving different uh, different input because they're on Earth or they're on Atreides. Arrakis. Here, there we go. They're on Arrakis at a different point in time. So obviously, I mean, they're going to have the same starting intelligence but they're receiving different stimuli yeah so they're, they're gonna react a little bit differently and it's understandable in in a certain sense that that would happen and uh, anyway i i just i 
came to the realization midway through the book that Duncan is really the true hero of the Dune series. He's he's hard, the one. Hard to deny that, really. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's quite insightful. I think he. Uh, where's he's sorry, also I'm looking through my note here. He's also the only. He's also the only real member of all of the all of the original players, all of the original characters that is truly human. Yeah. And and when I say truly human, I don't mean in the Ben Gesserit standpoint of being tested to be human. I mean in being like the rest of us poor human beings that are manipulated and and dragged into things and and led around and pointed in directions and stuttered out. He's and, yeah. he stuttered out. <laughs> we all know who that is. That's right. Yes, we do. You were looking for a quote, Ken. Oh, I don't. I don't have it here, but but yeah, I wrote that down. Basically, he's the hero of he's the hero of the Dune series. He sacrifices himself in Dune so that Paul and Jessica can get away. He comes back in Children of Dune and basically violates or uh, defies his programming. To make sure that the children are born, he comes back. Well, I guess he he leads the rebellion against his own wife in Children of Dune, so that so that everything can progress. And now he's the one who has basically been formulated for thirty five hundred years of different input to uh, arrive at this right moment in time to be the person to help push the rebellion basically over the over the precipice it needs to get to in order to kill i, I kill leto i mean leto knew he was going to die somebody asked that question too do we think leto knew he was going to die and i say yes he knew this was the moment he was supposed to die but i think these duncans were all brought to this point also to this moment in time with all of the input they've received to be ready to help siona carry out this last necessary act to break the break the prescience and fulfill the golden path and everything so interesting he's really i i think he's really this the hero through the whole thing yeah do you do you think that the Tleilaxu um altered this duncan clone in any way they Jack, he, he brings that up a couple of times leto and maneo and some of their conversations uh reference the times that there were there were different duncans that have been brought that had been altered they had been changed do you think that the Tleilaxu did anything on this one uh, i can't well, think we know oh, go ahead. we know that it's possible because they they that was the point of the first gola which was like programmed to to for the for the purpose of assassination and there right. are there he gives this this new gola gives some signs like every once in a while he says or asks something of either maneo or uh the god emperor the two people who would know and both of them are like, what an unDuncan-like thing to say. They're like, oh, I'm so surprised. Or like the God Emperor who's so obsessed with being surprised is like, oh, you've amused me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> exciting. Uh, so it's possible. I don't that, think it's ever confirmed. That is a funny thread throughout the book, by the way, is this, this uh, omniscient Godworm who every once in a while something happens that he's like, I did not see that coming. So, yeah, and, and, yeah. And he finds that amusing, yeah. I, I, I kept thinking uh, all the way through that I there were different there were different political figures that came into my mind uh Louis the 14th oh that amuses me that doesn't abuse me at all uh Queen Victoria we are not amused you know with all these kinds of things um and, and I guess I will say the um the there are certain aspects of Leto the second who or of, of the God Emperor 
he the, the the trope of the omniscient former human this is like something we see in sci-fi and fantasy yes not all the time but it's recognizable like i, I kept thinking of of dr manhattan from watchmen i'm thinking yeah. of the graphic novel hey, version not one. the movie yeah. version but i think that the there Dune was a movie version, version i don't just kidding <laughs> Uh, maybe, yeah. maybe. Um, but yeah, I think I think the Dune take on this trope is just so fascinating, and one of the reasons I love the book so much because they, this the, this the God Emperor is like for one thing he's a sort of culmination of so much that we already know about in Dune, like the the whole eco- ecology of Dune. He like embodies. He's the only source of Melange and of Sandtrout in the whole universe in this book, mm-hmm. um, and he like he alone knows and can fully guard and protect the golden path. He like he's shown bits and pieces of it to others, but no other human being can really comprehend it fully. And so like the, the common trope of this type of this archetype in fiction is that it it becomes so alone and so isolated that it, it loses its connection to humanity, but I think that's done really well in this book. And of yeah. course the 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 sole connection to humanity that he ends up having uh, or the, the sort of his sort of tether to reality is this Hui Nori, which I assume we'll we'll talk more about her in a bit. Oh, so yeah. I won't I won't go into too much depth. Actually, you know, I think this is a and 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 I had written down for myself um, the the timing of an un, and I I as I was looking through and as I was going back through and, and rereading and taking a look at my notes, I think this I, I I wonder I hazard a guess that this Duncan is perhaps the only unaltered Gola that had ever been sent um uh, several times Lido oh. made some made some remarks oh uh duncan was always dedicated to this atreides sense of honor and that it was the honor to the troop the honor to the people and none of his none, he, he mentioned that some of the other duncans had this but none of them to this extent and um, in fact, I, I I walked I wrote down one of the quotes where he says, "Yes, I've walked about in your uh, I've walked about in your city and watched your people. Your people are aggressive. You see, Duncan, peace encourages a drunk uh, aggression. And you say that, uh, and then Leto says, and you say that your golden path is not precisely peace. It is tranquility, a fertile ground for the growth of rigid classes and many other forms of aggression. And and this exchange between them starts to get heated and heated, uh, much more pointed." And it, it, it eventually comes down to a point where Leto realizes he sympathizes more with the people than he does with protecting the God Emperor. And so as I was looking at that, I said to myself, aha, if a, an unaltered Duncan who would never stand for the kind of abuses that the God Emperor has put together and Hui Nori, who appears obviously bred constructed programmed to stimulate all of the uh sympathetic sympathetic aspects of the god emperor to put him off his game so that the so that the uh the unaltered duncan can actually be successful at oh. the the act of assassination i've i've wondered if that was uh as i was going through reading i wondered if if that was the tleilaxu plot all along was to introduce these two individuals at just this time so that the two of them together become this this irresistible force that the God Emperor can't see around and can't predict and winds up getting him getting uh, putting him in a situation where he is finally eliminated. I've got no response to that. Uh, I, I like it. I like the thought. I mean, it, it's possible because the as it's seen in Watchmen, 
like when you have a character who is prescient, you have to, if it's not interesting, you can't make an interesting story about that unless you introduce some kind of wrinkle to the prescience. Yes. Um, so in, in, in Watchmen, uh, Ozymandias has to, um, he has to like do the ta- tachyons and yeah. interference and whatnot. And then, um, and then, but at the same time, the prescient characters, both in uh, God Emperor of Dune and Paul in Dune Messiah, they have a sort of stoicism about them, in yes. which they know what's coming, and then they just kind of have to proceed along it anyway. Although we learn, and then we can, it's confirmed for us in this book that the God Emperor is the God Emperor because he was willing to do what Paul could not do. Yes. Um, so I don't know; it's possible, but I even if that was their plot all along, I think. Ultimately, the God Emperor's plot all along was to die, but make sure he died near water um, so that he could start this whole cycle up again. Like yeah, he knew, yeah. he, says, he says at one point that he knew, he knows that he's going to die. He just doesn't know exactly how. Or like he knows that, that he must die and that it's necessary for him to die, that he will die, but he doesn't know how it will happen. Or all the specifics um, of, that, of that moment. I want to I touch yes. on a Reddit question really quick that... Um, relates to this um inverted cross i love reddit names by the way brings up <laughs> i find it very interesting that siona is hidden from prescience my question do you think leto knew he was about to die uh and a couple of other people bring this up as well do do we think leto knew when his time was up and i think he did and i think his uh his testing of siona is kind of the final him putting the final piece in in place because he's out there and correct me if I'm wrong. It was that moment when it started raining or something. And she came to the realization it's water that can hurt him. It's water that can kill him. I I feel like, I feel like that was a deliberate uh, plant by Leto into Siona's uh, mind so that, so that she knew this is how it needs to be done. And so interesting when he goes over water, she says, that's the moment. That's the point where we do this basically leading to his death and, and the retaking of Arrakis. Duncan makes the same discovery too. Uh, when he discovers that, that the God emperor has been hurt by drops of water along the, uh, in the, in the first attempt on right. his life. So both of them discovering that piece. Um, yeah. Jack, what do you think about that? Do you think, do you, do you think that he knew that he was about to die? Um, I don't know because I think if he, if he knew he probably wouldn't ha- have had Hui with him because he would have. He loves her so much, unless he lo- his love for her was so intense and so sort of selfish that he was. It would have been okay with her dying. Like he wouldn't have wanted anyone to have her. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Duncan already had her because Duncan. Who can resist Duncan? <laughs> let's be honest. Because yeah, Duncan's that, a player, man. Yeah, that's the other thing about the Duncans that's kind of interesting is they can have anybody though that they want, but they take they they take we. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well. Hey, right. but she reminds the God Emperor of the Butlerian Jihad in the most poignant way. That's like the hottest thing you can say about anyone in the Dune universe. <laughs> <laughs> note, note, not in this universe. I've tried that line. It's not super effective. Uh, I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. Hey, you remind me of the Butlerian Jihad. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure in the right club that might work. Um, you know, I, I wonder if... Uh, I. Ken, to your point, maybe he knew that it was time, maybe not exactly how, but I think I would, I would be interested. And this would, this would be one of those conversations where, gee, I wish I had a time machine. I know, I know, I know. Right. Uh, (laughs) Go back and ask Frank Herbert. So as you were crafting the God Emperor, 
did you did you have it set up in a way that every time he because Moneo talks about how he was a rebel, then he went through the testing and he accepted his responsibility. Siona goes is a rebel. She goes through the testing. She doesn't accept her responsibility to the God Emperor. She accepts her responsibility to the Golden Path. And she sees her responsibility as taking the next steps on the Golden Path, putting human humanity firmly on the Golden Path and starting down the next part of it. Mm-hmm. I wonder if every time he tests an Atreides, he's saying to himself, I wonder if they're going to be the one to kill me. And maybe if this time maybe. he figured out, yep, this is going to be the one because there's too many people that I can't that I that I can't predict. There's too many surprises, and it's finally my time. And it, it seemed like he was pretty much pegged. He he had Siona pegged as the person, yeah, that was going to fulfill his ultimate destiny. He knew eventually, in order for the golden path to be fulfilled, he knew eventually he would have to die. I don't know if he necessarily knew how. I. I think he probably knew when we talked about that. But he knew it would be ugly. Here are two questions about the Golden Path that that uh, I wanted to bring up since we're right here. Um, somebody named Merlord says, points out that Paul saw a, a Golden Path where he was God Emperor and he chose to reject it. By, but by rejecting his own Golden Path and destroying his own prescience, he inadvertently allowed the Golden Path to continue anyway through the sun. He never knew he had. And the second question from Inverted Cross that I'm, I'm kind of with him here. I think it's, I think inverted crosses him. Go ahead. I'm still having trouble understanding Leto's motivation for the golden path. We know the end goal was humanity and survival, but not what it is. I guess it's the way Herbert wanted the story told, but what is the golden path basically is, is what they're asking. And I'm, I'm not precisely sure how to answer that. Yeah. So, mm, well, go ahead. I know exactly what the golden path is. Um, because, I'm pretty sure uh, Leto just uh, says at one point it is humanity's survival, no more nor less. That's correct. Um, so we have to imagine. I guess we have to. It's not really ever spelled out what the alternatives are, but we ha- we have to assume that the golden path is the only means by which mankind actually survives into the future indefinitely. That yeah. any other alternative to to it in uh, dooms the human race to ultimate extinction. And that Leto, again, uh, reinforcing the solitude of his position, alone knows what must be done for humanity to stay on it. His ultimate plan, of course, is to sort of uh, pack everyone together, pack the human race together and repress them for so long that once he is out of the scene, they then explode outward and that there's just... Humanity is in so many different places on so many different planets and with so many different cultures that there's just no way that a single uh, catastrophe uh, could wipe everyone out. That is the golden path. You know, um, in in talking about that, I was reminded about um, Elon Musk uh, talking about uh, about humanity needing to go to Mars and about the fact that until we go to Mars, we are not. Uh, we are not a, a species that can survive. Uh, a single extinction event eliminates the species here on the planet. So he says we must go to Mars to become. I'm not suggesting by any stretch of the imagination that Elon Musk is an Atreides or that he has seen the golden <laughs> path or that he is <laughs> sipping from the spice. But I am going to say that it sounds an awful lot familiar. I refuse to believe yeah, that, by the way. Silicon, 
uh, Silicon Valley types love Dune. I, I know <laughs> right. that, and like I, I know this from experience that a lot of them. Uh, How they, many of them there. think they are the God Emperor? <laughs> I, I, I will not comment. Um, <laughs> I will be tactful in this in on this regard or in this regard. Um, but yeah, that was the second question. Was about the Golden Path. What was the the first question? I think we've answered the second one pretty well. The first was question the first was. Question? I think the first, the first question was was uh, Paul uh, knowing, acknowledging that the golden path and refusing to participate, basically, basically punting it to his son. The tough part. Yeah. The, the tough part about this, and I think I think uh, Frank Herbert through Leto talks about the idea that in order for in, and and this is one of those places where I. Uh, personally struggle with some of the philosophical ramifications that Herbert seems to be putting forward. And that is that in order to truly move society forward uh, and keep society moving forward, you must somehow sacrifice your humanity. You must stop thinking in terms of individuals and you must start thinking about humanity as an organism uh, as a whole, rather than thinking of the individual humans yeah. as organisms to be protected. Um, and it seemed you, you have to start thinking about humanity as a crop or as a, as a herd of animals to be cultivated and husbanded in the same way that we wouldn't necessarily think, well, except for some individuals who want us to, uh, to acknowledge the rights of, of chickens and cows and some of these others as, as inviolate, uh, in our political system, bless their hearts. Um, <laughs> you know who you are. And if I've offended all of you, I really apologize, but that's in, in that same way, we, as a, we, as a, bulk of humans see those animals as herds to be managed, grown, cultivated, driven. Um, and, and the, the, the assumption is that in order to make sure that humanity is on the golden path, you must do the same thing with human beings. And Paul would not, I'm not going to say could not, I'm going to say would not sacrifice his humanity in order to make sure that it was okay. He saw that the Bene Gesserit had and did not want to become the Bene Gesserit and Leto's willing to because he sees what the alternative is. We never, and you're right, Jack. We never really, we never really get a clear glimpse. Nobody ever tells us what the what the alternative really was. Um, but but that's the interesting ramification is that in order to make sure you can move, I, I wonder if that's a. So is that a? Uh, anyway, I won't I won't jump into that one. But <laughs> it 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 makes me it makes me wonder if if that's if that's a if that's a major political point that Frank Herbert is trying to make is that, that our leaders see themselves often as trying to move us forward as a herd. And therefore they stop thinking about themselves as being part of us. They are now above us. They are different from us. They're smarter than us. All those kinds of things. We are just the herd to be driven. Well, I'm not getting into that, but I'm not going to say you're wrong either. <laughs> and Jack, Jack, you look like you're, you're chomping at the bit to bite on that one. <laughs> oh, I was just going to, I was going to make, uh, give us a safer way to answer this question and ask which is the better uh, leader, um, uh, Paul or his son, the God Emperor? Which one? Which one ruled in a better way? You know, that's a great question. That is a great question. But I'm not even. I'm. I would say Paul initially, just because I'm one of those who just wants to be left my own advice devices and left alone but paul didn't do that either he was yeah right he had his jihad yeah and didn't doesn't he say he he eliminated what 600 planets 
billions of that. billions of 50, souls. Yeah. At one point, at one point in in um in Dune Messiah, I'm pretty sure Paul says something. He's like reviewing the historical record, and he says he st- he said he found he finds something about Hitler. Yeah, that Hitler says like Hitler killed a lot of people for back in the day. Yeah, um, for back in the day, right? six, six million like, people like by Hitler. Done. That was a that was a good start. Six million hit people by Hitler, but not anything compared to Genghis Khan, who exterminated like thirteen million. Or you know, he's going through and he's talking about all the, and then he says, "But none of them can hold a candle to me." I, <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, your history's greatest monster. Then Congrats. Yeah, exactly. Here are the here are the stats, by the way, um, from Dune Messiah. 10,000 total jihadi planets, 61 billion dead, 90 sterilized planets, 500 demoralized planets, and 40 wiped out religions. Yeah. Ken loves this quote, the, loves that one, because he, he he had it last time as well. So yeah. thank you, stats man. I don't know. I like stats. <laughs> I know you do. Baseball rules. But... The taught in you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why I like Duncan Idaho so much. I don't know. So um, let, me ask, let me ask this. Um, as you're thinking about the characters in God Emperor of Dune, can you, you alluded to this, all of the old ones that we knew are basically gone, except yeah. when Leto brings them out to play. <laughs> right. Um, right, because he can, he can access them. And yeah. He, and he can talk in their voices and everything, and, and which is kind of a neat trick. So for the most part, we've got some old, so, you know, we, we, and we get the Duncans. Mm-hmm. And we, I think we've all already agreed that maybe the Duncans are the most interesting characters that, that they could have survived. But uh, of the new characters... You know, we've got Moneo, we've got Hui, we've got Siona, uh, we've got Nala. We haven't talked very much about Nala. Oh, yeah. um, any of those new characters that you like that you're saying to yourself, I, I, I enjoyed this character the way that this character was portrayed? Uh, so I loved, one of the reasons I love God Emperor so much is that I think of the Dune books it uh, that I've read so far, it has the best opening pages, not counting the like, prelude where the where the emperor's journals are rediscovered um but the uh where the it just starts in with siona running and like as a runner i relate to that strongly but like it's just so i can it's very cinematic and if there's ever a god emperor of dune movie i can picture the scene very easily oh, I, what yeah. i can't picture is how on earth cgi will will render the god emperor <laughs> but i have some ideas yeah, we'll leave that problem for 2029 or whatever it ends up being. Um, so I, I like I like Siona there, but then for the rest of the novel, she's not as interesting to me. Um, she does some, some interesting things. Um, the her agony in the desert is it, it's I, I like how that was done. Um, yeah. But other than that, Maneo too is kind of a a flat character. He doesn't. He's loyal. He's very good at executing things and people, probably. <laughs> right. Um, oh yeah. But no, I think that my two main, the, my two favorite characters, the ones who make this novel for me, are the, are Duncan and the God Emperor. The only two who existed before this book. I'm not big on any of the new ones. And since you mentioned Nayla, are we gonna? Is this since you said your children listen to this? So I assume we're not going to talk about the way she reacts to Duncan reaching the top of that wall. Well, you know, since that is part of the book, I think that that was one of the funniest moments when 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 you get to the point where he says, "And at, when Duncan reached the wall, she had an orgasm." I was like, "Are you kidding me? Are you? Oh yeah. Do we? I I mean, for all of the and and let's be honest, um, Frank Herbert." dances around the fact that that sex is rife through all of these books um oh, yeah. he, they talk about orgies happening in every one of these books 
and and the only time that he spends a, that he that he really spends any time talking about anything other than suggesting that it's happening is in the rock climbing scene. That was one of the <laughs> silliest things I'd ever seen in my life, but I got a kick out of it. Yeah, so, yeah. but yeah, it's one of these things where God Emperor is so good in other ways that like this sort of. Other Dune books have the weird weaknesses for this uh, in in certain ways. Like, I think it's in Children of Dune where, again, this is just another bizarre phrase that I remember because I guess I have a perverse, perverse mind. But uh, the pre the pre uh, the pre sand troutified uh, Leo the Second has an adult beef swelling. <laughs> <laughs> like, there are just things. In other there are things in other books that I would that are just like it's just obvious that it's bad writing. But here, here this, this post climbing orgasm is just really amusing to me. Uh, so, oh my goodness! <laughs> oh, that's that cool. is the real phrase. I, I know. I don't oh, forgot and, about it though. Now just... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll compose myself. I promise. I'm not oh. surprised that this phrase had the effect on you. I have the voice in certain ways. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You do, and and you do well with it, even at a distance. Um. So, Ken, what about you? Uh, I was going to say, uh, probably of the new characters, Siona probably is my favorite, but mostly because I think she's supposed to be, not because she necessarily does anything that that I find very noteworthy. You know what I mean? I mean, she steals the pages because she's supposed to. She incites rebellion because she's supposed to. She's tested because she's supposed to. And she and everything that she does is kind of, well, yeah, this is this is what she's supposed to do. But there's nothing remarkable about any of that. And I don't find anything terribly remarkable about any of the other characters. They say, each of them says, you know, a, a line here or there that makes me go, oh, hey, that's a pretty good line. But that's mostly just me going... Oh, Frank Herbert turned a good phrase there. It's yeah. not really the character. So I have to be honest that that of all of the new characters, um, I in some ways I feel like Duncan was a new character because this is the first time again, if we're yeah. if we're suggesting that uh, this is an unaltered Gola, um, this is the first time that we really get any time with Duncan significantly, even in Dune. Yeah, he was dead within the first hundred pages. Um, and so getting a chance to explore Duncan a little bit, I, I kind of like that, but I, but the other, the other thing that I really, uh, that I, that I quite enjoyed, um, not because I thought the character was well done, but because I thought he was used expertly as an Igor kind of a character was Maneo. Um, you know, Maneo seems to be running along and he's the, he's the, he's the wonderful little toady who, uh, asks all the right questions um, he's used as a wonderful device by Frank Herbert um, to make sure that to make sure that we have somebody that the that the God Emperor can talk down to and condescend to and give all of these uh, give all of these pearls of wisdom about what the about what humanity needs to do and it to me at least it it was an expert using of that kind of a trope for Frank Herbert to be able to say here's what I think we need to understand about where humanity needs to go forward about how politics works and about how we're doing it wrong. And for me, that was the thing that I kept pulling up about Maneo. Oh, he's used, he's used this character well to be the everyman that gets all of these questions asked and answered. I didn't, yeah. ne- I didn't necessarily like the character, but I liked how the character was used. Okay. I agree with that. I can, respect. and um, 
Yeah, and I I think he's the best. Like one thing, one of the most striking things about the God Emperor is just imagine, try to picture yourself as a citizen of this of Arrakis in whatever what we're probably be at the year what like fifteen thousand at this point. And imagine if God is just like hanging out. You see him every once in a while, <laughs> every ten years, like, in all when, his wormy glory. Yeah, uh, when you see and like when when it's said that God wants x or y it's like oh yeah that's literally god like there he is and so maneo is the one who like imagine being in maneo's position where you every day you just like have to uh, go use that staircase and then like talk to god and then make sure oh yeah i want to i'm glad i was i remembered this i want to talk about the worm because this is something (laughs) i don't know if it's ever fully explained and it's never it is not a gross protuberance no, not that one. Not that worm. <laughs> um, no, I mean the like, Maneo, who knows the God Emperor better than anyone alive in this book, is always afraid of the worm. Like yeah. there's apparently oh, a right. part. There's yeah, the part of of the God Emperor that is like a sort of primal force that coexists with him, and it never really f- comes out. But if he's always afraid that it will, but, but we see, never see it. Yeah. We see glimpses, though, every once in a while when Leto loses control, and I think he even alludes to it once in a while where he can he can feel the worm back there in the back of his head itching to come out and lose control, and I guess go nuts, kind of like we saw in, in original Dune. Where well, and in that scene, at, in the scene at the Bene Tleilac's oh right right uh, embassy outside uh, or out of out of in oh front yeah, of their when we place. see him in action, yeah yeah. yeah. That I gotta, I gotta admit, that would make a really cool CGI scene. Yes. Oh yeah. As long as the never mind, I'm not gonna go there. I'm gonna leave it alone. <laughs> Gross protuberance. <laughs> no. Uh, all right. I want to before we before we wrap up, I want to um, tell people we we didn't get to all of the Reddit questions, but we will we will get. We to have them. another one. Yeah, yeah, we will get to them next time. I want to uh, tell Jakob what was it Jakob Lechner on Twitter asked about the comparisons between the Dune series and Wheel of Time. We will get into that. Yes, we I want to let them know. We will also get into uh, stuff with the, the Fremen and uh, <laughs> the changes in them. But here's, here's the question. The question that I wanted to ask you guys, though, from Erandis. Uh, can we safely say that in the Dune universe, Paul may actually be one of the universe's worst dads? <laughs> Imagine seeing the golden path and saying, I'm good. Yeah, my son can do it. <laughs> or Yeah, that's or, uh or even worse. Or even worse. Wait, there's two of them? Oh I was God. only expecting the <laughs> right. son. I've been so busy, I didn't even find out that my wife was having twins. Which, by the way, that we want to get into that next time too, uh, about Ganima and the fact that he didn't know that she was there, because I have thoughts on that. All right. So uh Parting thoughts. Is there a is there a scene from this book that you feel like you're going to take with you and say, I'm going to remember this scene because and 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 why would you remember that? Jack, do you want to take the first one on that? I have got one. One hundred percent. This is the the scene where the God Emperor um, when Hui Nori like thinking about Hui Nori makes him cry. Uh, and his tears make him bleed gaseous spice essence. Uh, and I have, a, I have the quote here. A tear rolled down each of his cheeks. When the tears touched his cowl, wisps of blue smoke erupted. He sensed the burning and was thankful for the pain. That's just like, 
Wow. I like there's so much that goes into that in describing um, what the God Emperor's like body is, how his relation to humanity is, like how Hui Nori somehow, I'm not really, really explained well how, has made him just so um, wistful about his lost humanity. Um, there are a lot of good scenes in this book. I mentioned already at the beginning, but that, that one is like, if I had to uh, put a pearl of, of, God Emperor of Dune into a into a sand trout and let it become a sandworm as as <laughs> as is as is Leto the Second's plan for himself in the future and that's not a spoiler because it's mentioned in this book yeah um uh then that would be the scene that would be the little pearl that's trapped in the endless dream okay okay Ken how about you I don't necessarily have a scene that that sticks out other for the writing or anything like that but the the end when the sand trout skin and everything is is ripping away from Leto and he's fully aware that it's happening that uh, basically he's uh, dematerializing in real time and he's feeling all of it and it's I, I couldn't have even imagine I, that that stuck with me a little bit just like oh that is 3500 years being unmade in just a few moments and probably Fairly excruciatingly. And you think it's hard washing up after a Spartan race. Oh, I've got one coming <laughs> up. I've yeah. got two coming up. So, uh, I, I, and, and, and both of you have picked some very profound moments. Mine, I got to admit, is... The on, wall orgy? No, no, <laughs> no. See no, see no. excuse me. Yeah, no, no. Not even that one. Not even that one. No, it's the, the journey, the, the peregrination journey, when all of the museum Fremen throw off their robes and they oh, all, yeah. the immediately, these face dancers all become Duncan Idaho. And there are hundreds oh, yeah. of Duncan Idahos. And they're saying, how will they know which one it is that is the real Duncan? And he says, and then he sees him, this naked man running in the midst of all of them, that Duncan <laughs> Idaho ripped his own clothes off so that he could be distinguished as the real Duncan Idaho. Yes, we all know the real Duncan would be would be fully nude at every opportunity. Well, it sure <laughs> seems like it, especially well anyway, that and and no wonder that every one of the fish speakers wants Duncan because he's taken his clothes off and they already I don't know. I the 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 the, the lunacy of that moment and of and and yet the absolute practicality of what is the easiest way to solve this problem the easiest way is for me to to strip myself naked and be completely different from everybody else around me there's an eminent practicality about duncan to find the easiest solution to the most complicated problem and i love the way that he is i, I that's another way that he is presented as an absolute contrast to leto who has the most complicated solutions to some of the easiest problems. Kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. Kind of interesting. So, well, that's, uh, we are we are running out of time. There is so much more that I wanted to talk about. Um, maybe we'll... Do uh, <laughs> we are going to have some more stuff coming up. Uh, we'll uh, and and Jack, if you're if you're amenable, maybe in the future we can have you on another uh, another cast. You said that you've uh, also read through the rest of the Dune series, so maybe no, if just I can heretics of Dune. maybe if I can talk Ken and Megan into one more Dune book, um, I and, would I would be willing. Okay, okay, yeah. so maybe. Maybe when we get into Heretics, we'll invite you on for that one as well, because that's a that's a fun cast. That reminds me for the for the next episode, uh, Aerodandis wanted to hear Megan's impressions at the beginning of this episode. We'll make sure that she's on next episode, and she'll she'll give you a good two minutes worth of 
We'll have a good know, time. Megan Hater, love or whatever she does. We'll, we'll, we'll have a good time. Well, in the meantime, um, we, we do have another, we, uh, we'll have another episode coming up for to discuss God Emperor of Dune. Uh, meantime, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.